Well, RCC, it is great to be here, and I am so excited. This is off topic, but I'm so excited about this offering you guys are doing. I can't wait to see next week how much you've given me. It's going to be, oh, it's not for me, I thought. I'd already picked out a car over there. That's disappointing. Um, no, I will tell you this. I do know what it's going for, and I know what it's going to be used to do, and I just want to tell you, Paul didn't tell me to say this, you don't want to miss next week. Um, and you want to participate in this, because I'm telling you, next Sunday, I think, is going to be one of those Sundays that you talk about for the rest of your life, about what God did through you and in you here at RCC. So do not miss next Sunday. Um, also, before we get started, I need to say to all of you who thought Tom Cruise was showing up today, I'm sorry. Uh, that's disappointing to all of you who thought um, it was Michael Scott. I'm flattered. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, you need to go check out RCC's Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Trevor, who runs that, he found um, a picture of me as a teenager with my mom and dad, my sister, and my brother. This is from like, I don't know, 90 or 91. But it wasn't just any picture. It was an Olin Mills Church directory picture. Do any of you remember those back in the day? Yeah, so if you go look, it's worth it to go look just to see my haircut. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, it's pretty special. But if you go look, I mean, it, it could, he couldn't have picked a worse picture to put up for the world to see. Owen Mills has been embarrassing families for 75 years and making millions of dollars off of it. So, so anyway, um, that's, what, that's what all of that is about. Um, also, for those of you who are newer, maybe at one of uh, our churches, uh, you may not know the history, but Paul and I, we've been friends for several years now. Uh, we are really, really good friends. We talk every single week. And a few weeks ago, before he was starting this series, we're on the phone, we're chatting, he starts telling me about this series that you've been in now called More Than Meets Eye. And he was really excited about it. He was telling me about, you know, I'm going to teach him about how the invisible world impacts our visible world, how Satan's goal is to, you know, damage, to hurt, to harm, to destroy our lives. But the only way he can do it is through scheming. It's through deception. So he was walking me through the series. It sounded really exciting. He said, we're, we're going to talk about how Satan uses our, our thoughts to deceive us. And I was like, oh, that'll be good. And then he said, we're going to talk about how Satan uses pride to deceive us. If you were here last week, whew, what a message. I mean, I don't know whether to call it a great message because I was listening to it on the podcast and I was like, I can't dodge all these haymakers. I guess I have pride. You know, I don't know how you walked out of there not thinking you had some of that. It was a great message. So he's talking to me about all of that and he said, hey, you are actually going to be here in the middle of this series, so I want you to do part four. And I said, all right, what do you want me to talk about? And he, and he said, uh, well, I want you to talk about how Satan deceives us with sex. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And I thought to myself, I don't know what I did to this man, <laughs> but this is the most creative payback I have ever seen. I mean, I had to tip my hat to him. It's like, you're bringing me in to talk about sex. So He's like, yeah, that's what I want you to talk about. So as uncomfortable as this may make you guys, this is what we're talking about today, all right? Um, we're talking about sex. Um, two things, because you did not show up at church today expecting to have this topic. Uh, so let me lay a couple ground rules real quick, all right? A couple ground rules. Number one, um, you probably are going to disagree with something I say at some point in this. And if you do, that's perfectly okay. What I want to encourage you to is if you disagree, uh, don't dismiss what we're talking about. Discuss it. And all I mean by it is this. Find somebody, you know, figure out a way to sit down with somebody who has a, a different view than you do about this. And just talk about it. I would, I would give anything to be able, you know, if you disagree with something, to hear your point of view, to have a conversation with you. I would love to do that. You can reach me at paul at rivertown.cc. 
That's called payback, in case you're wondering. Y'all just fill his inbox up. That'd be awesome. But I'm serious about the fact you ought to sit down with somebody. You ought to have a conversation about it. And then the second ground rule I want to lay is this. I, I realize it is a sensitive subject. It's a sensitive subject for a lot of reasons. For some of you, you you're going to disagree with some of this, and it's going to feel like, oh, my gosh, you know, you know you just, there's going to be guilt. For some of you, it's going to be anger. For some of you, it's going to be frustration. I, it just brings all kinds of emotions. So the thing I want you to understand is simply this, that God's grace is bigger than any guilt you might feel. This is a filter through which I want you to hear everything I say today. Because I don't know what your church experience was like, but you may have been in a situation, had a church experience where, you know, you got hammered pretty hard over some of this. And I want you to know that's not the intent today, all right? No matter what your past is, no matter what's going on in your present, God's grace is bigger than any guilt you feel. My goal is not to make you feel guilty. My goal is to help you see God's grace. There are a lot of opinions that people have about this. I mean, if we were to take the time to, you know, everybody to share in all of our churches today, a lot of differing opinions in our churches about sexuality, about sexual ethics. I understand that. The irony is all of the differing opinions come from three basic sources. This is what's so odd. We've all been influenced by the same three common sources. We've been influenced by our culture, by our community, and by the church. So culture, I just mean this, you know, mainstream media, the voices that are out there. We grow up in American culture and there are all these voices we hear and it's portrayed in certain ways and sexual ethics are talked about in certain ways. So we've been influenced to some extent by that. We've been influenced by our community and I'm not talking about like your local community. I'm talking about the community of people that you grew up around, the community of people you're surrounded by now. Those people that have influence in your life that you listen to been influenced by their voices and by their perspectives. And then it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're a church person or not. We've been influenced by the church because you've grown up in or around churches and you've heard what they had to say or you got, a, you know, you got a, an idea of, well, this is how they view that and this is how they treat people who and this is what they say about those people. You know? So to some extent, we've all been influenced by all three of these. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Satan has used all three of these to deceive us about God's design for sex and sexuality. You're like, well, you got the church on there. I know, I know I have the church on there. Satan's used all three, including the church, to deceive us in different ways. And so what I wanna do today is I just wanna start at the beginning, and then I wanna try to help you understand the why behind the what. You're not dumb people. You've grown up in and around church enough to know, oh, well, the church believes this. I, but nobody's ever explained the why. I want to try to help you understand the why today. So if you go all the way back to the beginning, you start in the, you know, in Genesis chapters one, two, and three, you know what you discover? You discover that God created sex because God created us as sexual beings. That was his idea. That was a gift from him to us, and he created sex for three distinct purposes. Now, two of those purposes you're very familiar with and aware of. It's the third one that I want to focus on for a little bit today. Uh, the first purpose, you're familiar with this, is God created sex for pleasure. You get that? I mean, he didn't have to. He could have created it where it wasn't any fun. So you can drop on your knees and thank God for something right now, okay? We'll just move on. Um, number two, God created sex for procreation. I know you like to imagine that you were dropped by a stork on your parents' front porch, but your parents actually don't think about that you'll throw up in your mouth. But that's why you're here, okay? That's why you're here. So that's purpose number two. The third purpose, though, Nobody's probably ever explained this to you. But God created sex to be a promise, to be a promise. This is why God says sex is for married people 
and not mature people. Now, I know you may not agree with that, but just hear me out for just a second, all right? So let me summarize the biblical sexual ethic in about two minutes. God created marriage to be a covenant, not a contract. All right, a contract, you get this. A contract is, and I'll do this and you do this, but if you don't do your part, I don't have to do mine, right? If you don't do your part, then the contract's broken and I have no commitment to you anymore or to fulfill the contract anymore. You know how that works. But God created marriage not to be a contract. He created it to be a covenant. And that's not a word we use a lot, but a covenant is I am totally, irrevocably committed to you no matter what you do. That's what a covenant looks like. In other words, I am pledging unconditionally to be committed to this, and it doesn't matter what you do on your side, I'm not changing anything on my side. So God created marriage to function as that kind of covenant. If you think of marriage like a covenant then, sex is like the signature on the covenant. Sex is our way of saying, I'm giving all of me to all of you forever. It is my promise that I'm never going to violate this covenant. Now, I get whenever I stand up and talk about this, that some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. You're making way too much about that because people have casual sex all the time and it doesn't seem to be a big deal. People have committed sex. They say they're committed to each other, but they're not married and it seems to be perfectly fine. This is exactly what I'd hear in church. You know, it's old fashioned. It's just preacher talk. All right, so we're gonna stop talking about that for a minute. Let's talk about science for a second, okay? So scientists agree, you can just check this out for yourself. All scientists agree that whenever two people engage in any type of sexual activity, there are two different chemicals that your body releases into your brain. This is fascinating. Any type of sexual activity, two chemicals get released into your brain. The first one you're probably familiar with. The first one's called dopamine. Dopamine is a pleasure drug, if you will. It's a pleasure chemical. Dopamine is what makes uh, people get addicted to things. Dopamine creates addictions oftentimes. It doesn't sustain them, but it creates them. Dopamine is the thing that goes, that tells your brain, oh my gosh, that was amazing. You know, you should do that again. So when it comes to sexual activity, when dopamine gets released, it's dopamine's, dopamine basically says, hey, I wanna drive you back to that person again. I wanna drive you back to that person again. I wanna drive you back to that person again, okay? So it, it's a pleasure drug. But there is a second drug, a second chemical that gets released in your brain when you engage in sexual activity. And it is called oxytocin, not to be confused with oxycontin. That's a very different drug, okay? <laughs> to be careful when I say that. Oxytocin. All right, now, oxytocin is fascinating. When you engage in sexual activity, your body releases oxytocin into your brain. And it is a drug or is a chemical that bonds you, that bonds you. It's been called the relationship superglue. That's what it does. So outside of sexual activity for a second to give you an idea of how this works. Whenever Jen and I had our two kids, they were both NICU babies, so they got to spend a little extra time at the hospital and we would show up every day to see them. And one of the things the nurses demanded that we do is that we had skin-on-skin -skin contact, okay? So they'd want that baby to lay on Jen's chest, they'd want to lay on my chest for a while. And I was like, because I'm curious, I was like, whoa, whoa, why are we doing this? What's the point of this? Well, the point of it was skin-to-skin -skin contact releases oxytocin into your brain. And so they want us to do that with our babies because it created a permanent bond or attachment between the baby and the parent. Well, oddly enough, the exact same thing happens when you engage in sexual activity with somebody. Oxytocin gets released. 
And it creates a bond. It's like relationship superglue. It creates an attachment between you and that person. Uh, a few years ago, there was a lady by the name of Dana Gresh who was talking about this in a TED Talk. And some of you are familiar with TED Talks, right? So she is talking, imagine this. She's talking to on the campus of Penn State University to a bunch of Penn State University students about this very issue, sexuality and sexual ethics. And she's explaining how these chemicals get released into our brain. And she made a statement, and you can go watch this on YouTube. She made a statement when she said it, stop me in my tracks. She said, all right, so listen, I don't care what your intention is. When you engage in sexual activity with someone, her quote was this, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. In other words, I don't care what you plan to do. I don't care what you hope to do. You cannot keep your body from releasing these chemicals into your brain, which bonds or attaches you or makes a promise. This is why God says sex is not just physical. Sex is a promise between you and another person, which means if you're making a promise that you do not intend to keep, if, if your brain is interpreting as I'm giving all of me to all of you forever, I'm totally irrevocably committed to you, but that is not actually the kind of relationship you're in, then it creates a disconnect between your body and your intentions, your brain and your mind. It creates a disconnect, and that disconnect creates a lot of problems. So maybe when you open up the New Testament documents and you begin to read about what these early followers, like the Apostle Paul, wrote about a biblical sexual ethic, about God's design and purpose for sex and sexuality. Maybe it's actually not so surprising. Maybe it's actually not so old-fashioned to find that they lean into this very idea that God has a design for sex for a man and a woman, totally irrevocably committed to each other in a marriage relationship for life. I want to read you just a little bit about what Paul wrote about this, the Apostle Paul in a letter to Thessalonians who were living in the city of Thessalonica. And he's trying to explain this to them. What you have to understand before we read this is he's writing to people who are living in a culture and who'd grown up in a world where it was do whatever you want sexually. I mean, it was a free-for-all in terms of a sexual ethic. And so this is so brand new. It is so foreign to them. He's trying to help them understand how to live a different way. And so here's what he writes to them. He says, it is God's will so it's God's purpose, it's God's design, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, which is a churchy word, right? But let, it's, let me explain it. It's simple to understand. So to sanctify something just means to set it apart or to set someone apart for use as it was intended by its designer. You set somebody apart for use as they were intended by their designer. So think about it in simple terms. If I grab this pen and I write with it, what I've just done is I've sanctified the pen. I used it the way the designer intended for it to be used. If I grab this hammer, look at this cheesy little hammer they gave me as a prop. How about that? If I, anyway, if I use this hammer, this mini little hammer, to drive a nail, then I'm sanctifying it. I'm using it the way it was intended to be used. Now, if I take this hammer and I try to use the claw on the back to screw a screw in, some of you have been dumb enough to try this, like me. It doesn't work very well. I have just unsanctified the hammer, okay? It creates a lot of damage. It doesn't go well. If I take a remote control and I use it to turn on sports, I just sanctified the remote control. If I take the remote control and I turn on one more baking show, 
This thing is unholy and unsanctified and going straight to the pit of hell. I know some of you ladies think it ought to be reversed, but my wife's not here, so it's my story right now, okay? That's just personal therapy. My favorite, any Snickers fans? Oh, right here in the front. I love Snickers. If you take a Snickers and you eat this Snickers, you just sanctified this thing forever. It's like the next thing closest to heaven. And I feel like somebody ought to sanctify it today. And this lady in the front salivating already. So there you go. Go say, oh, she even caught it. Good catch. Good catch. She won't hear another thing I say, but she will be happy. I guarantee you that. So this is, this is all Paul's saying. When it comes to your sexuality, to your sexual ethic, to your sexual activity, he's going, listen, he's writing to these people who have no idea about this. This is all brand new to him. He's going, God has a design for that. God has a design for your sexual behavior, for your sexuality. It's God's will that you should use it in the way he designed and intended for you to use it. Which means, he goes on to say, that because of that, you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, this is a loaded term. But here's what I know. You may not be a Christian. You may not be a church person. You may not have agreed with anything I've said up to this point. But you do consider certain things to be sexually immoral. There's a line, and you go, oh, yeah, 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 you cross that line? No, that's going too far. Now, here's the problem we have in our culture. Everybody has a different line because everybody's basing the line on their opinion. So it's very subjective, and it's hard for me to tell you your line is wrong, and my line is right, or my line is wrong, and your line is right, because what are we basing it on? Everybody gets their own choice. But the Apostle Paul goes, no, 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 there is a line. But... That line is anchored to something not subjective like an opinion. That line is anchored to an objective standard to the way God designed sex and sexuality to work. And so here in the New Testament is what sexual immorality means. Anytime you read it, it means any sensuality or sexuality outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That's what it always meant. That's how they always used it. Which to some of us, and I get this, to some of you you're going... (laughs) That sounds so restrictive. Well, it could be. Or it could be protective. And Paul makes a case. God actually created those lines to protect you. He goes on to write. He says, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy, in a way that's honorable, which just means, you know, honor the way God designed it to be used, not in passionate lust like the pagans, people who don't know God. Uh, Passionate lust just refers to appetites, all right? So Paul says, your sexuality, your sexual desires, they're like an appetite. And you know what's true of all appetites? They have to have boundaries. Now you already understand this because when it comes to food, you have an appetite for it, but you also know If I don't have any boundaries, if I don't have any lines, if I just eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want, it's not going to end well for me. You know that. It'll harm and hurt and eventually destroy your life. Well, the Apostle Paul goes, the same thing's true with your sexuality and your sexual behavior. If, If you don't have the boundaries that God has put in place, if you just run right over them, you're eventually, just like any appetite, it's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to damage you. And then Paul makes this point. He says, not only is it going to damage you, the apostle Paul says, it's going to damage the people around you. 
Because next he writes this. He says, and in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. To which some of us go, whoa, 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 I'm not taking advantage of anybody. I can do what I want and make whatever sexual decisions I want to make. And as long as it's two consenting adults, you know, we're mature people. We both agreed that nobody's getting hurt. And the apostle Paul would go, well, you ought to pump the brakes on that. Because even if you're both consenting, whenever you just blow right through those boundaries, whenever you let that appetite run unchecked, whenever you're out of line with God's design, you're going to hurt not just yourself, you're going to hurt other people as well. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Whenever you engage in sexual activity of any kind, that chemical, oxytocin, gets released. And it doesn't matter what you intend to do. Your body makes a promise whether you want to or not. Which means you bond. It's like relationship superglue. You bond, you attach to somebody else. And then your brain is going, oh, I'm totally irrevocably committed to them. I've given all of me to all of them forever. You can't keep your brain from making that promise. But you never intended to do that. And you're not in a relationship where you're doing that. Because that can only happen in a marriage relationship. Anything outside of a marriage relationship, let's be honest, the two of you can walk away at any point and it's not that hard. But in a marriage relationship, now you've made the commitment. Now the, the doors have been shut, right? They've been locked. Like the covenant's been made. But when you do it outside of a marriage relationship and then you walk away, what happens? You have to break that bond. This is why, by the way, you've had friends just like I have who've been dating and they were sexually active and it didn't work out and it broke up and it, the breakup felt like it was nuclear. The emotions were so hot. I mean, it was so devastating. And then you've had other friends who weren't sexually active and they broke up and it hurt. I mean, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't devastating like that. And you wondered, what's the difference? Well, the difference is the sexually active couple inadvertently, they didn't even know they were doing it, but they made a lifelong, irrevocable commitment to each other when they engage sexually with one another. They create a super glue bond. And when they broke up, they had to break the bond. And it hurt. It really hurt. And then they made another bond. They broke that bond. They made another bond. They broke that bond. And you know what you do? Your body does. You know what your brain does? You don't even realize this is happening. Your brain experiences this over and over again and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I can trust the people I'm with because my trust keeps being broken. I keep making a promise that gets broken over and over again. And scientists have discovered that this over and over continues to diminish your ability to experience intimacy with somebody, which explains why some of you are now in marriages, but you struggle to experience a level of intimacy with your marriage partner that you want to experience. It's because there's a history of multiple partners and your brain can't decipher the difference. You bonded back then, now you're trying to bond now. But it's leery. It's leery. So, maybe when you read the New Testament, maybe it's not so old-fashioned. Maybe it's not so out of touch. After all, maybe it makes a lot of sense that the advice you read over and over is simply keep sex in line with God's design. 
Not because he's trying to restrict you, because he's trying to protect you, because it's what's best for you, because it's what will allow you to experience the intimacy with your marriage partner forever the way you want to experience it. So let me ask you a question. This is a really uncomfortable question. Are you engaging in any activity that steps outside those bounds of God's design for your sexuality and sexual activity? You engaging in conversations, pornography, affairs, living together, but you're not married. And I know you got good reasons why all that's okay. But what if you're harming yourself and you're harming the people around you and you don't even realize it? Because you can't keep your body from making a promise when you engage sexually. It's just biology. It's the way God designed it to work and you can't stop it. So if you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, this explains so much because I got this in my past and I got this in my past and you just, you know, maybe you feel guilty over it. Maybe you're just saddened by it. Nobody explained it to you, right? You just didn't know. Some of you are sitting here and you're engaged in stuff right now and you know it's outside the line of God's design but you found reasons to justify it. What you don't realize is you may not just hurting yourself, you're hurting the person you're with or the person you're gonna be with, your future spouse one day because you're damaging your ability to experience intimacy in that marriage context. What do you do? What do you do? Honestly, it's pretty simple. Just own it. Just admit it. You gotta start by acknowledging, okay, I'm out of line with God's design. You gotta be willing to change it. And that's not easy may not happen overnight, but you gotta, you gotta work to change it. But here's the beauty of it. When you admit it, and when you decide to change it, and you turn and you start walking back to God to get within the boundaries of his design, guess what you run into? You do not run into condemnation, you do not run into guilt. You run head on into God's grace. And you know what God's grace will do for you? He'll forgive you, and he'll heal you. Over time, it's not like, oh, I've lost this. I'm never going to be able to experience intimacy the way I wanted to. No, no, no. If you'll allow him to, over time, he'll heal you. He'll enable you to experience in a marriage relationship that irrevocable commitment and intimacy that he designed us to experience. But you've got to be willing to do it his way because it's the only way your body works. It's the only way he designed it to work. The good news for you and the good news for me is that when Jesus gave his life on a Roman cross, he didn't just die for some of our sins. He died for all of them, including our sexual ones. So there's forgiveness available. I'm confident of that. And I'm confident of that because we may break our promises from time to time, but he never does. All you have to do is ask him for it. So as we wrap up, I want to pray. And I want to invite you, if you're in one of these, if you're in a situation, if you're in one of these moments right now where you're going, I need to own it, I need to change it, 
I want to get in line with God's design because what I want most is that intimacy, that unbreakable bond, that irrevocable commitment. I want to one day have a marriage or I want my marriage to be a covenant type of marriage. Would you just ask God to forgive you? Would you ask him to heal you? He promises he will. Let me pray for us. Father, this is, um, it's hard for us to talk about and honestly, it's hard for us to own because none of us like to admit when we messed up. It's also hard to admit because everything in our culture sends a different message about our sexual activity and our sexuality. But would you help us to have enough humility to be able to acknowledge we're out of line with your design. And those areas or those times, whether it's our past or our present, help us to have enough humility to ask for your forgiveness, to ask for your healing. And then give us the courage to do the right thing, even when it's hard from this point forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, before you go, two things. One, we're wrapping up this series next week. Paul will be doing that, and it's not on sex. Congratulations. And number two, grab that Easter invite card. You be sure to give that to a friend. Invite them to Easter on April 9th. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.